The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IONS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest today, Paulina Howfield, is Skyping all the way from Australia. For many years, Paulina has been dedicated to spiritual ascension, right brain consciousness, and the healing of the collective. Following an NDE in the 1980s, Paulina developed skills to help others understand life after death, energy and healing medicines, uh, consciousness, and spirituality. She's lectured at colleges and universities in the UK and Australia. Her book, Remembering Isis, Reconnecting the Divine Feminine at the Goddess Temples of Malta, discusses her interactions with the Earth energies and cosmic archetypal imprints on the islands of Malta in the 1980s. Paulina, welcome to NDE Radio. Well, thank you, Lee. It's very kind of you to have me, and and well done for managing the lengthy title of my book. <laughs> it's a bit tricky. <laughs> well, I hope to ask you uh, more about the book at the at the end, but uh, um, I I want to start uh, pretty much with your with your near death experience. Now, I mm-hmm. I understand you were living in a spiritual community in Israel when you had your NDE and. I wonder, would you tell us a little bit about your life in the community and uh, and then what happened to bring on your NDE? Okay. Well, the uh, I was living in a spiritual community in Israel and I had been there for about oh, three months at the time that the near-death experience happened. I was on a spiritual quest in my life, an, an inner quest and an outer quest. And I had been living in Turkey for about eight, uh, six months before I got to Israel. And while I was there, I was spending a lot of time in places where I realized now I was reconnecting with different aspects of spiritual memory and past life memory. So by the time I arrived in Israel, I was fortunate enough to go to this spiritual community And the spiritual community was an anthroposophical community. It was very much geared towards Rudolf Steiner, Mm. uh, the idea of spirit and soul. And I did what most people do in communities like that. We volunteer. We do what we're asked to do. So I was um, working in kitchens. I was working in avocado plantations. I was working in um, making soy milk, uh, almond milk, that kind of thing. And I also Mm. worked in their restaurant uh, that they had every weekend. And um, I had – the room that I was um, renting, I guess, was right next door to their library. So I had – exclusive access in a way to some of their books and um well to all of their books actually and so I was finding that in my free time I was reading a lot of uh, Steiner books and I felt close to the stories from the bible I felt close to um spirit and I felt close to God for another, for want of a better word, the source that I would now call it. And uh, the 
Uh, yes. So that was happening in my life. And I was aware that I also had something going on in my stomach. And I'd been, as I said, I'd been in Turkey for a period of time. And on the way from Turkey to Israel, I had bought water on the boat and um, it turns out that the water was contaminated. So I was thinking that some of what was happening in my body, in my stomach, my pelvic area was connected to contaminated water. Mm -hmm. um, but after a few months, uh, it became clear that it was something else. So I went to see a doctor who then referred me to a gynecologist. And I was told I had a large cyst on an ovary. I was warned to be careful as it could rupture or twist. Um, and that if it did rupture or twist, I should immediately go to a hospital. That would be very serious. Well, apparently, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I remember as I left the specialist room, I was thinking to myself, I'm not actually sure how I would tell if a rupture or twist occurred. Like, what, what would that feel like and how would I know? And it turns out it wasn't hard to identify that at all. Mm. Um, so at about 10 p.m. that very night, I had a searing pain in my pelvic area and a feeling uh, – well, it was followed by a feeling of something toxic flooding, flooding through my body. And I found it very hard to breathe properly and my body was shuddering. And so I knew instinctively that the cyst had ruptured and that I was also in a dangerous situation and I needed to get to hospital. And I lived in a place where... Um, there were other volunteers and not everybody spoke English. And fortunately, the person who was currently sharing a space with me did speak English. Um, she went off to find someone with a car um, because in a community that I was in, you only had access to a car um, if you ordered it ahead of time, really. Mm -hmm. um, she went to find somebody who had a car and she was directed to the community nurse, and I didn't know there was a community nurse for medical help. And then there was a student doctor who had a car. So the student doctor brought the car around, the nurse came to get me, and then we walked towards the car to go towards the hospital. Wow. And I gather you, you were in the car when, this, when your NDE began? Yes, um, I was. I, well, it took a bit of time to get settled in the car, partly because I wasn't well, but also there was this who should sit where. And the nurse suggested that she would sit in the front passenger seat. I would s sit in the back and she wanted me to lay down and place my arm between the two front seats so that she could monitor my pulse. But I instinctively knew that if I lay flat, I, I wouldn't survive the journey. And also, I was too tall to lay flat in the small car. Yes. So I bent my legs and I placed my feet at the end of the back seat. Uh, so I was sort of, my toes were pushing against that right-hand door. And I rested the top of my body and head on the window of, of the left back door. And I remember placing my head against the glass window and it felt really cool against my face because I was in a, that it was a pleasant sort of feeling against the heat that was rushing through the body. Mm -hmm. And the main hospital that we were heading to was about 30 minutes away. Uh, so um, I just tried to relax. Um, I didn't know exactly what was going on in my body, but I knew that um, I was pretty clear that the cyst must have ruptured, but I just thought, keep breathing through it. 
and allow this um, these people to to get me to the hospital. Um, I do remember that there was a conversation between them about how far the hospital was. Was there somewhere else we could get to quicker? Um, but I just thought I'll let them sort that out. So I had my head resting on the window and it was nighttime, 10, 10 o'clock ish. And I was looking up at the stars and I, it was beautiful. The stars were just, it was a clear night. I could see the stars and I just thought that was really lovely. Shut my eyes, um, to rest. And as I did, I felt the presence and saw the presence of a very big blue eye and it was shimmering at the top of my head Mm. and it was beckoning me and sort of pulling me out of my body via my third eye and crown chakra. So I paid attention to it and, as I was focusing on it, suddenly my conscious awareness was outside my body and I was above the car and I could see the road from above and I could see the car moving along the road with three people inside it and inside with a doctor and the nurse in the front and then my body in the back. Mm. And I could also see the tops of houses in the distance and the junction of interconnecting roads about three miles away. So I must have been up of a reasonable height. And then um, I suddenly went higher into the night sky and I could easily see a large city, which was about 30 miles away, and the roads and houses and trees that were part of it. And then very quickly after that, I became aware that I had moved even further out. I could see many lights and roads and highways and cities all over the planet. Then I could see the curve of the planet. And then I was just as quickly out in space amongst the stars. And I could see other planets. I could hear the sound of what they call the audible live stream. So it was a bit noisy. I could hear wind rushing. And then I was suddenly way out in the cosmos and could see different galaxies. Wow. And then, and then the, um, as I was sort of in a w state of wonder, I guess, of that, then there was the element of air whipped through my consciousness. And it felt like it was moving through my physical body, although I wasn't aware that I was in a physical body, if that makes sense. And it and it took my breath away. And as I was claiming back my breath, the element of fire whipped through and it felt like it was burning everything away. And then the element of water washed everything clean. That suddenly washed through. And as each of those happened, I guess I felt there was a sense of transformation occurring or something was definitely occurring if it wasn't transformative. Um, and then the earth... Uh, energy and element whipped through and that felt like it was somehow stabilizing matter or redirecting matter so I felt these elements working with my mind and body to help uh, reconnect with me with who I really am and as that happened I realized that we come from the stars we're made of elements earth air fire water and ether and how these elements come together is part of that geometry of life and is foundation of all things that are created. And so all of these things were happening. And I was uh, moved, I guess, into a, a level of ether of consciousness. And I was in wonder because I realized that if anybody asked me a question about anything, I just knew the answer. Mm. Because, because I was in a place of being all and nothing at the same time. So I knew things like without asking questions that we're not our bodies, we're not our thoughts, and we're not our emotions. We're simply consciousness in matter. 
and everything is consciousness experiencing itself. Um, with that understanding, I became aware that I was in the light and that I am and we all are, but I am the light. And it was bright and powerful and very wise, omnipresent, unconditional and loving. And it, and the light had a consciousness that was communicating with me both telepathically and via a strong uh, pulse, I guess you'd call it. And I became came aware of, like I was a backpacker at the time, although um, I've traveled a lot in my life, I guess I didn't really think of myself as a backpacker, but often when you're traveling, you have a bag that you carry, you know, sure. whether, it's, whether it's on your back or a suitcase. And, and it felt to me like the identification of who I thought I was, was like that backpack that you put on your back when you go walking somewhere. And it wasn't me. And it was, if there was anything about me that I needed to let go, it was time to do that. And as I did that, I thought about that. I fully entered white light that was so bright. And uh, I became aware that I was in kind of, um, best way to describe it would be like corridors of light. And they were part of a great hallway. And there yep. were. Now, yeah, were you, were you um, <laughs> still in space? Was this a part of oh, the space or, yeah. or were you in a. How would you describe the place you were in at this point? I would describe the best way to describe the, the place was that I was in space, and it was like this was in the in the in in the ethers, in the clouds, in the ethers. So I wasn't walking on clouds, mm -hmm. um, but I was definitely still in space. But there was this in this consciousness space. There was in this light. There was like, um, it was like I could be floating on a sort of cloud base, if that makes sense. Okay. A bit hard to describe because um, a lot of this whole experience is really not the way that our left brain perceives the world. And so um, I know when I, um, afterwards, part of it was trying to, to integrate things about um how we perceive things and how we feel things. So I was in these doorways, in these hallways, and I recognized that they were entrance points to what I would now call the Akashic Records. And so there were memories of my soul experiences and information about the real history of the universe. And I sort of moved through these corridors of light and like felt through doorways. So I didn't actually physically in, in my understanding go through the doorways but I went through the doorways by like perceiving through the doorways and I was absorbing these memories and this sense of unconditional love and I felt I'd come home it was familiar I knew it intimately and that I belonged there and and I wanted to stay and couldn't imagine leaving but suddenly something pulled on the wrist of the body that I'd left behind and I arrived back into my body in the car with a jolt. And um, the nurse who was in the car um, was trying to take my pulse. And she was in a bit of a panic. And she was telling the driver that she couldn't find my pulse. And he suggested to reach up to my neck and try my pulse from there. And I heard her seatbelt click open. And as she turned in her seat to reach my neck, I took a breath and the nurse said, oh, she's breathing. Uh -huh. and, 
And the doctor said, good, we'll, we'll soon be at, something like good, we'll soon be at the hospital and they'll know what to do. Uh-huh. And so we continued heading on to the hospital, which was then just a few, like literally maybe two to five minutes maximum away. So you might have been gone for several minutes at least. Yes, it's hard to know exactly because in a way, if I think about it, in a in a 30-minute journey, I probably had maximum of five minutes in the car at the beginning of the journey and then maximum of five minutes at the end of the journey. So I was gone for anywhere between five minutes to 25 minutes. Mm. Let, me, let me ask you um, before we move on. Um, when you were talking about the sounds of space, harmonious mm. sounds of space, could you describe that more fully? Well, um, in some ways, they're, they're not as harmonious as we would think. They're quite discordant. They're loud. There's uh, some videos that people are making now where they are um, looking out their window or standing in their house and they're hearing strange noises coming from groves of trees or coming from the land itself. And so it's quite loud. It's like a bonging, crashing noise, almost like cymbals coming together. Mm. And um, it's the sound of, yeah, it's the sound of life. It's the sound of how things work together and planet, not that planets are crashing into one another, but I guess it's the sound of intense vibration. And, And it's the wind and everything felt beautiful and it felt in a way harmonious, but the audible live stream can be very loud and it's, it kind of a little bit eerie. So, uh, e- so even in your um, spirit body, call it that, or your or traveling as a soul, mm. you uh, were still in touch with the um, the elements, including the wind, fire, water, and earth. Well, yes, I was, and it was fascinating to me because I didn't feel connected to my body at at all, in the sense of I was definitely not in my body, and. Um, at that point, I, wa- I wasn't even aware of how my body was breathing or not breathing or what was happening. Um, so it's it's a it's that in itself is difficult to describe as well because since then I've become really aware that to navigate the afterlife, part of the ancient wisdoms from our indigenous and earth cultured and also wise people from the east all of the cultures that we've learned things about spirituality and um, how to connect with the elements these four elements and ether are really ways to how we navigate the afterlife in order to return back to source Mm. and um, and it also changed my interaction with them. I do um, healing work and, and um, shamanic practitioner work. And so, for example, if I'm using my drum and, and working with the wind or working with the fire or the different elements, there's a different relationship that I have with them. So over the years, I've come to an understanding that I must have um, – learn how to navigate that in a previous time because that's what was happening was that absolute understanding that we are those elements but as we understand that and move through those 
we move back to source without entrapments, without getting lost, without um, getting caught in the astral realms. Mm. So it's uh, akin to moving through the bardo? Yes, yeah. I think and, in, a, in a previous interview you said that you'd heard a, a Buddhist monk talk about the four elements and you connected with what he had to say. That's correct. And um, the uh, I was going to mention that actually that the so um, before I say that, like PMH water, PMH at water talks about how long it takes things to integrate. And so over the years you integrate things. And I was um, at a um, ceremony that Buddhist monks were running and they then did a talk about um, the afterlife and death and dying. And it was translated by somebody. So I'm not sure exactly how good the translation was or wasn't, but I'm assuming it was good because otherwise they wouldn't have had that person. Um, and the monk was an elder monk and he was talking about the process of uh, practicing death and living your dying, but actually practicing death. And that this was his skill and his one of the many things that he brought to the community, and and from what I understood from that was that you he he works on navigating those elements in order to return back to the afterlife and the bardo and navigate the bardo back to source, whether it's for reincarnation in a physical form or to incarnate in some other way or to fully return back to source as a whole uh, being with total soul recall. Mm. And that fascinates me because something else that I've also understood from my experience over the years is that this this event was triggered by my soul. It was triggered by my soul and it could have happened in three places on the planet at least – but it happened in in Israel because that was important to me from a previous time, but also the um, energy template in the earth was was relevant to the things that I had come to do. So if the soul carries that, almost like um, as volunteers, we we um, we come to this life as volunteers. We, our soul knows what, who we're going to meet and when, and the triggers are put in place that we will speak to that person or not speak to that person, all of those things that can happen in our life. This was something that was required by my soul for me to fully uh, have, an, have a conscious awakening that would enable me to do the things I came to do in this life. Mm-hmm. And... <clears throat> I I gather that after this experience, you went back to the UK and investigated past lives, looked into some of your own past lives. Yes, I did. And uh, as a child, it was int- the whole experience was interesting for me because as a child, all the things that I experienced through the uh, near death were things that I believed in. And I believed in past lives and I believed in reincarnation and I believed in spirit and I believed in all of those things. And um, I had this sense in during the um, getting back into my body from the near death that I needed to get my over self back in. And I just knew that term. Um, and I was thinking, well, I'm, 
I can't fully explain what the over-self was. I just knew it was a higher aspect of self, which I would now say would be the 10th dimensional aspect of self. And so all of that was saying I had this information, I had this knowledge, or I had this understanding and clear cognizant knowing, and how could I make sense of it? And then when I went back to the UK, I needed to recover and needed to have some surgery, but I also began to study past life therapy um, I and work and I now work um, with past lives and regression therapy. I studied uh, shamanism. I studied um, healing different different modalities of healing, including sound, because the audible live stream was really interesting to me. Um, I studied chakra healing, a whole range of different forms of healing. And I also went and did art therapy because the, myth, the mythologies and the symbolism and the also that thing about art therapy that I find really fantastic is it's not about words. It's not about um, it's about emotion and it's about sensation. And those are, for me, important ways of how I interact with the world. So it was a good way of bringing all those things together and finding ways that I could best help myself heal and also perhaps help other people who were dying um, or were wanting to learn how to navigate the afterlife um, and also help me to help other people who were just living a so-called normal life and wanting to know more. In the few minutes we have left, Paulina, uh, tell mm. us a little about your, your experiences in writing the book, um, it sounds like it was a an amazing uh, experience. This was also back in the 1980s. Was it after your NDE or before? It was. It was after. Um, I, as a result of the NDE, I work a, um, and I was doing it before, but I wasn't doing it as consciously. I work a lot with the energies of the earth and and how we can um, cleanse imprints in our own bodies and with the energies of the earth to better connect with the earth and galactic energies, but also to um, cleanse and heal ourselves. And so uh, I end up, I work with a lot of different sacred sites. And so I had been, if you like, called as a clairvoyant and medium and earth energy worker to work with particular sites in London. And then I ended up um, being called to go over to Malta to some of the goddess temples. And these days, Malta um, doesn't have the kudos that it used to because uh, Gobekli Tepe has kind of taken the place of being the oldest goddess temples in the world. But back then, Malta was considered the oldest known goddess temples in the world. And so m moving and interacting with different energies at this place, there was lots going on, many, many different layers from meeting dead people to meeting solar gods and um, ray masters and all sorts of beings. And... Um, I had no intention of writing a book, <laughs> none at all. <laughs> I was just living my life and doing my thing. And I was on a plane returning to London. And um, the night before, I'd had these visions of, of um, a phoenix just um, flying through the air and almost like burning into fire, exploding into fire and crash landing. And I couldn't 
I knew that it was a phoenix, but I wasn't sure if it's symbolic that the plane was going to crash the next mm. day. I was kind of like trying to figure that one out. So I'm sitting on the plane and I was um, in, in, in some quiet space and breathing because f f um, I was aware of that energy running through. And I suddenly heard this and I saw the phoenix again. And then I heard this voice booming in my head saying, and we want you to write about this. And I was uh. like, Really? <laughs> like, <laughs> you want me to write about this? Um, are you sure it's me you want to write? And well, I, I can believe it because, I mean, the title alone is, is intriguing. Remembering Isis, reconnecting the divine feminine at the goddess temples of Malta. I mean, it, it yeah. sounds so, um, uh, can I say romantic? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Well, because I... Uh, not so much in the last 10 years, but previous to that, yes, Isis was very romantic in, in that sense. And, it, and it's the, I, so I started writing that um, at s sort of, um, well, as soon as I got back to, to London, I started putting that together. And, of course, it, it took a while. It, it also took a while because, while well, I'd had those experiences and I think those experiences are important. I, ha I had to figure out, do I write that as a pilgrimage sort of journey, this is what happened on a day-to-day, -day, almost not a diary, but that kind of thing, or do I write it as a viewpoint of this is spirituality at work? And that took a while to register. And, and also the templates of the earth were changing because as the divine feminine becomes more, uh, as more people become aware of the presence of the divine feminine, that it's like it sh you must experience that in your well you not must you may experience that in your own life that as things change the world around us appears to change as well as changes yes. within us occur and so um it's that there's also a collective shift and so like when i first started to share some of my experiences not necessarily talking about the near death experience itself but my understanding of consciousness and earth energies and if i talked about the word energy people would ask me well is that a direct current or an alternative current mm. in in the sense of like a battery mm -hmm. or a, a plug that you put into the wall and i'd think oh um i'm not quite sure how to explain that because my <laughs> physics and science doesn't go there <laughs> but now if we talk about energy most people go oh yeah even if they're not 100 percent sure what mm -hmm. that means they don't have that balk or that sense of let's let's really try and clarify what energy is now it's, it, now it's, it's yeah it's part of part of an awakening that i think is going on right now yes absolutely yeah paulina we are out of time unfortunately tell tell the audience how they can find your website and uh, and a copy of your book if they'd like Okay, well, um, you can find my website um, at uh, matrixharmonics.com uh, or if that's if it's easier to find it by my name, paulinahowfield.com. They both link together. And uh, you can find the book under my products uh, on the website. And uh, I'm also on Facebook if people are interested in joining me there. And uh, um, I just uh, would like to thank you and also hope that uh, me sharing something is of use to some other person who's maybe had an experience and is trying to integrate it and find out how it fits into their own awakening.
Yes. Well, that's what the show is all about, and I think you've added a lot to it. Uh, a very, a very interesting um, NDE for sure. Uh, reminiscent, actually, of Jung's NDE. There's a lot oh, okay. of similarity to that. Yes, and he's. A, I'm a fan of Jung. <laughs> Unfortunately, as I said, we're we're out of time. And and if uh, folks listening would like to uh, hear this show again, uh, or any of our past shows, go to um, NDE Radio and click on the past shows button. Paulina, thank you so much for for being with us. Um, and uh, one of these days, perhaps I'll get to uh, Australia, and and if I do, I'll look you up. Absolutely. Well, if I'm not there, you will find. I may find you there where you are before you find me here. <laughs> oh, very good. All right. Okay. Thanks exactly. again. Lovely to chat. Bye bye. Bye bye.